There it is. We are live. It is 2.30 on the dot. Welcome, everybody, this beautiful day. Uh, going to tell you a little bit personal story. This one's all about me, my connection with my Latinx community, trying to get my homework done because uh, I was assigned to do this. So let me just play the intro and we'll jump right in. Here we go. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a beautiful Wednesday. I'm jumping in here by myself. I had a guest, but she's on her honeymoon today. So, you know, congratulations and enjoy that. But Whatever, here we are. We're going to keep on going. If you are joining us here for the first time today, I want to say welcome and thank you so much for tuning in. And if you've been here for a while, then you already know that we are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So that's three opportunities for you every week to ask some questions. So if you have any questions about your relationships or if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs, let me know, or leave a comment while we are recording live. Follow the show on all social media platforms at Practicing Polyay and let me know what it is that you want us to talk about. And as always... I want to remind you, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. None of us are perfect, and we are here to share our imperfect stories because the more stories we share, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com, sign up to share your imperfect story too. Speaking of imperfect stories, I get to tell you some of mine today. Um, So... What was it? A couple of weeks ago, I think that I had uh, Olivia Fermi on the show and, uh, you know, I had her twice on here uh, because she was going to help me or she has been helping me to explore more of my own heritage to kind of get into this idea of, uh, you know, what my heritage means to me and how it is important to creative creating uh, inclusive communities. And speaking of speaking of tomorrow. We have a special episode, a special Thursday episode uh, with a very special guest. I'm going to be, I'm really excited about this. Ah, dang, I left it uh, on the kitchen table, but uh, Love's Not Colorblind, author of Love's Not Colorblind, Kevin Patterson is going to be joining us tomorrow. So we're going to be talking even more about creating inclusive communities. So I'm really excited about that. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, really, really excited. It's, it's super cool to be getting somebody like that onto the show. So um, as I start to kind of get more, I don't know, um, passionate and, 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 and intentional about creating these communities, uh, I want to take a moment and kind of go through and, and do this homework, right? Do this homework that I was given uh, by Olivia to think about what my connection is to my Latinx community. So uh, I guess I'll start it off just talking about like my own personal identity as Mexican. For the longest time, I don't think that I really identified as Mexican. I mentioned it before that I always used to identify as American. If I ever got a survey and it asked, you know, your race or whatever, uh, and somewhere at the bottom, there was always an other option. I would check that other box and I would write in American because I didn't want to be uh, classified as anything else. Um, 
and especially Mexican, I guess, you know, it, it, it sounds horrible when I say it that way, but specifically Mexican. And because of the things that I saw whenever I went to Mexico. So there were, you know, a couple of different reasons why I might go to Mexico as a kid. Now, first of all, I live in San Diego. So San Diego, border town. I mean, we lived 15 minutes from the border. Uh, my aunt actually lived in Tijuana and she would come across the border and she was our babysitter a lot of times. And so I remember as a kid going across the border multiple times with her, uh, we would go to stay at her house for, you know, however long it, it might be. Uh, and, you know, one of the biggest things that always stood out to me is that Tijuana is dirty. Like, as soon as we get across the border, it's like, it is a night and day difference from being in the U.S. compared to being in, in Tijuana, at least. Now, again, this is a border town, and uh, recently, I went down to Rosarito with my parents. They actually bought some property down there, so that's kind of a cool thing. Um, but I went down there, and something that I realized is once we get past Tijuana, the rest of Mexico is pretty nice. I was surprised. I was like, okay, I, I could do this. I can I can figure this out. Like I, I I wouldn't mind living down here in Rosarito next to the beach, paying half the rent that I do now, you know, like that sounds awesome, actually. But that wasn't what I knew as a kid. That wasn't what I remembered as a kid. I I, re I remember it being dirty and you know, my aunt's house was on this dirt road you know like like they didn't even pave the streets down there um and of course you know i think i talked about this a little bit last time there's the uh when we're coming back across the border there's just all kinds i mean first of all it's it's filthy right like people just throw their trash everywhere and it's just gross and it smells and then um yeah even i could smell it with my bad sense of smell uh, and then you've got, you know, all kinds of vendors coming up to your car, knocking on your windows, trying to get you to buy all kinds of stuff. It was it, it was hard for me as someone who was born in the U.S. and who, uh, you know, wanted to assimilate and wanted to be accepted to be proud of my Mexican heritage when all I saw, all I knew, all I recognized about Mexico is that it's dirty and gross and not somewhere that I want to be. Even on uh, a recent visit that I went, uh, I remember going to, we, we went to somebody's house. Um, my parents were, were signing the uh, documents for this property that they purchased. And we went to somebody's house and, you know, I, I excused myself to go use the restroom. And there's like this smell coming from the bathroom and then we would happen to stop by my aunt's house and the same house by the way she's had the same house for 30 years um and that same smell in the bathroom so like again like these these memories are triggering like like this is what i remember of mexico how how, how am i supposed to be proud of that heritage that's like it, it was it wasn't something that i that i found a lot of pride in but you know, being an American, being in an American school, you know, and being indoctrinated, you know, Pledge of Allegiance and 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 America the Beautiful and all of that stuff, you know, 
this was a country that I was proud of. This is the country that I was taught to be proud of. And maybe it's because I didn't get the history of Mexico. Maybe it's because I didn't uh, go further than Tijuana. I didn't get to see the beauty of the rest of the country. Uh, so, you know, all of these and, and, the, and the, the, the history, the heritage, all of these different things that I didn't get a chance to, to learn about. Um, I am a terrible reader uh, of physical books. Um, I had a conversation with my friend Tavo uh, after I spoke with Olivia, and he recommended that I get this book, Mexican-Americans, American-Mexicans, From Conquistadors to Chicanos. Um, so I've had it for, I don't know, two or three weeks, and I'm on page 15 not not a very uh, strong reader here, um, but there's a lot of history that I'm looking forward to learning about once I actually, you know, get into it. One of the things that I remember Tavo talking about was the uh, the walkout of uh, this huge, massive organized walkout of schools in the late 60s. Uh, by, you know, Mexican-American students, uh, all in protest of the education level that, you know, or the the, the quality of the education um, that was provided in predominantly Mexican uh, neighborhoods. So there schools. So, you know, there's a lot there's a lot there uh, to unpack and to learn about. But anyway, so going back to like my own connection, my own uh, experience. So I remember, first of all, learning Spanish as my first language. Um, thank you, Grandma. My Grandma Tonya, who uh, is 93, 92, 92 now. Um, yeah, she's 92. She just turned 92 last month. Um, and when I was two or three years old, uh, she had me up in front of the church reciting the 23rd small 23rd Psalm in Spanish. Uh, so like Spanish was actually my first language, but once we started going to school or even, you know, when we were at home, uh, uh the majority of that Spanish went by the wayside. I was, uh, five or six years old when we moved to from LA to San Diego. And I remember, uh, you know, again, growing up in, in a religious household, the first church that we went to was a Spanish church. And I don't know, I, I feel like part of it was um, the fact that church is boring. <laughs> and I didn't want to be there anyway. Uh, but then like, I, I feel like I didn't really connect with uh, the Spanish-speaking kids back then either. Um, even though I think my Spanish, I think my my English wasn't perfect yet. When I was in elementary school, when we first moved uh, down here to San Diego, um, we went to a year-round school, year-round elementary school. And uh, the way that they did it back then, I don't know what it's like now, but the way that they did it back then, they had four tracks so track a b c and d uh and i remember that track b was essentially the esl track so it was the track for um people who spoke spanish and were learning english uh so i think i did like first grade and 
part of second grade as um, in track B in, in there. And then uh, my parents went bankrupt. So when my parents went through uh, their bankruptcy, uh, us three boys, we went different locations. My brother, my older brother, he went to L.A. to stay with my aunt. Uh, I went to stay with my grandma and my younger brother went with my parents to stay in Tijuana with my aunt until they kind of were able to figure everything out. It lasted probably about six months, maybe three to six months. I don't remember. Not too long. Um, but, you know, long enough for me to have memories of it. Um, when we came back to school, when we got back, you know, all together as a family again, we got placed back in the same school. I went from track B, which was the ESL, to the track to track C, which, as far as I know, was was the same as anything else. Uh, it wasn't the ESL one. So here I am, you know, back in in uh, regular classes, not ESL classes or anything like that. Uh, and, you know, just keeping up with my with my peers. You know, we're all speaking English. No big deal. Um, one thing that I do remember, though, even from that age is my dad. How do I say this? Uh, you know, my dad moved us away from L.A. for a reason. Uh, gangs were very prevalent, very, um, you know, influential uh, where we were in L.A., and so he wanted to get us away from that gang culture. And, you know, he didn't want us to associate with gangs at all. As a kid, we weren't allowed to hair to slick our hair back because that's what the Cholos do. So Cholos is like your Mexican gangsters. Um, I actually saw this video. Uh, one of my partners sent me this video um, recently about uh, Japanese women that are dressing like cholas so if you're bored and you want to google that go ahead and check that out that was that was an interesting little 15 minutes of uh of fun there but um the cholo mentality that gangster mentality was very 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 frowned upon uh in our family in my upbringing um ironically my little bro, <laughs> he uh, he kind of went that cholo route, but um, but yeah, in our home, um, wait, put that up later. Uh, in our home, that was very um, frowned upon. It was very, it was very taboo to to want to be or to to uh, idolize that in any way. Um, so, something that I've learned recently is that part of the cholo mentality part of that mindset has a lot to do with chicano so chicano is like this mix i guess it's it's this this um it's the acceptance of this mexican american heritage it's it, it's uh in a lot of ways it's um what's the word that i'm looking for it's an antithetical uh anti whatever it's it's like it's like anti-establishment even uh of of what america has done to the mexican you know to 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 mexicans in southern california you know taking the land and all of that and so chicanos is is very much you know um anti all of that um chicanos are you know 
really love like the the Aztec. Uh, there's this picture, this very famous uh, picture of like an Aztec warrior carrying uh, this nude woman, and you know this is like like part of what makes the Chicano like culture. But we were as kids, we rejected all of that. We were we were told that that stuff is is no bueno, you know, like <laughs> I went Mexican there. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 not good. You know, we don't want to go that way. It was very much about. Uh, I guess whitewashing in a way. Uh, Chicano is a political statement. Thank you, Tavo. Uh, and by the way, Tavo, we're going to be talking uh, on the show next thursday so another very special episode where we're going to be learning uh even more because tavo is the one who recommended this book first of all uh and uh very very smart guy uh really looking forward to chatting with him next week but anyway so so like i said a lot of uh ignorance on my part uh and rejection of the heritage rejection of the culture so growing up I start to think about as as I'm as I'm reflecting here. I started to think about the uh, different portrayals of Mexicans in the media. The first thing that I thought of was one of my favorite movies as a kid, uh, Blood In, Blood Out. I, I I can't remember if that's actually what it's called, but I, I think that's uh, the the shortened version of it. Uh, but Blood In, Blood Out, you know, revolves around these two um, these cousins. One of them is very, very light-skinned, so white passing. Um, but uh, they call him Milkweed because he's white on the outside, but he's brown on the inside. Anyway, great movie. Um, and, but but it was very much, you know, there was a lot of gang violence even in that movie. So, like, when I think of mexican portrayal in 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 movies i start to think of gangs and gangsters and cholos you know think about the movie fast and furious you remember the mexican guy in there some big you know cholo with the mustache and you know like the 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 dickies shorts and the and the socks up to their knees when i was a kid what do you mean nino anyway nino one of my best friends from high school um so so there, there there's one. Then I think of uh Danny Trejo, one of the like most famous Mexican actors in the world. What up, Robbie? How you doing? Um I think of uh more recently uh the Mayans in Sons of Anarchy. I don't know if you guys have seen that. There's um but again, you know, all of these things, Blood in Blood Out, Fast and Furious, the Mayans, Danny Trejo, very much like gang related stuff which is all what we were taught to reject over and over and over again perhaps one of the best um mexican portrayals in media was james edward olmos uh what was the name of that movie non you might remember uh stand uh stand something um anyway it was uh it was this movie about stand and deliver Stand and deliver. Thank you, sir. Uh, this movie about him teaching, taking this this high school class and teaching them math and like this whole new way. And it just changes everything. So like James Edward Olmos, great, you know, Mexican actor uh, and and really, you know, something maybe that 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 I could feel like I could strive for. Um, 
but now when when I look to like Mexican uh, portrayals in media, the first thing that comes to my mind is Luis from uh, the Marvel movies from Ant-Man. Right. And the funny way that he talks and the, the stories that he tells and, you know, all of that stuff. But like none of that is me. I, I it, It's hard for me to like really, truly resonate with that stuff. Because again, it's it's a lot of the stuff that I was rejecting and and taught to reject. So, what is my connection? What actually is my connection? The things that I've been thinking about, the things that 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 I've uh, concluded are: first of all, I'm one generation away from being illegal. I'm one generation away. They let you watch Bound by Honor. Oh, yes. Yeah, man. I watched that movie when I was like 10 years old, something like that, 12 years old. I don't know. Young. Way before high school. Um, so I'm one generation from being rounded up and detained. I'm, I'm one generation away from dealing with the same struggles that a lot of people are still dealing with today. This is This is something that I'm, you know... Not that I'm ignorant of it, but it's easy to brush off. It's easy not to think about. Um, I remember, oh man, I remember having a conversation with uh, my cousin, uh, Jessica, man, years and years and years ago. I think she was like a sophomore in high school. So, um, you know, I, but she was always like wicked smart. I mean, this is, this is the girl that was uh, the, um, what do you call it? The the valedictorian got the Bill Gates scholarship, went to Stanford, went to uh, wicked, wicked smart uh, uh, cousin of mine. Anyway, so even back then, I, I was like rejecting a lot of this uh, this uh, connection. And I remember her telling me one time, what do you think that sweatshops still don't exist? Do you, th do you think that, th that we got rid of that? Do you think that we just like ended all of those things? And at the time I was like, well, yeah. And she's like, uh, no dummy. Like this stuff is still going on. All of this stuff is still happening. And so when I think about the struggles of people today, you know, I, I recognize that I am one generation away. I'm lucky that my grandma brought my mom and her siblings over. I'm lucky that they came over multiple times, even though they were deported. Uh, Tavo says, identity politics are a finicky thing and changes with time. Even though we think of it as a finite thing, it's quite fluid, even if we reject and deny it. Totally true. Totally true. And I think, you know, part of this journey for me is coming to terms with my identity. Um, I don't remember what it was. It was some other survey that came up recently um, in the last two or three weeks. And it did ask about race or heritage or whatever. And for maybe the first time ever, I wrote Mexican. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Mexican. I, I need to... Uh, I need to accept it and, you know, definitely not reject it because I, this is where I come from. This is my family struggled to get here. My grandpa worked 
under the table for pennies and people are still doing that people are still out here in in strawberry fields right and you know uh, just just picking one thing out of out of many uh but working under the table for pennies and forcing their children to assimilate as well like i talked about before uh thank you again tavo for this 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 phrase assimilation as a weapon because when when those children of those immigrants don't assimilate it just brings unwanted attention and it's that much easier for somebody to say to make that call to ice or something along those something along those lines the other question that i was asked uh, by olivia how would my life be different had i not been born american being born american gave me a ton of opportunity and privilege um, I had, I mean, I, I think my, my family life probably would have been very similar. Uh, you know, mom and dad loved us, cared about us, took great, great care of us. Um, you know, like I said, grew up in the Brady bunch and, and, and I don't think that necessarily any of that would have changed, but what would my dad have done? Oh, thanks, Tara. I would love to chat with you too. Uh, go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up. Would love to chat with you some more. Um, so my my, my uh, what would my dad have been doing for work? There, the reason why my family came from Mexico into the U.S. is because there was more opportunity here. There are just not as many opportunities in Mexico. I I, I went to pick up um some prescriptions from uh from Mexico the other day for the very first time I rode my motorcycle down there. It was scary as hell and freaking thrilling and so much fun. And I can't wait to do it again. Actually I can wait. I don't think I'm going to, but it was fun. Uh, <laughs> however, comma. Um, so, so my cousin wanted me to meet her like right as I crossed the border, there's like this little uh, driveway, this little turnout that I just like, like, just as soon as I cross in, just make that quick left and boom, I'm, you know, that's where we're going to meet. I said, okay, no problem. So I get in there and, you know, I make that left and, you know, I'm, I'm getting all the, uh, the, the stuff together and uh, she's writing out the, the prescription so that I can take it back across the border, all this good stuff. And I start to look around and I realize I'm in a tent city. There are rows and rows of tents. I am not kidding you. There had to have been a hundred tents at least right there, right on the other side of the border. And, you know, at, once, once we finally, you know, got all the, all of that business taken care of and I was following her out so I could make my way back to uh, the line, back to the border to get, to get back across. I'm going through that whole thing and here's little kids running across, you know, they're, they're playing. Somebody's got like this extension cord that's coming from one of the buildings nearby and they've got, you know, their, their devices charging and all this stuff. But, but it's a tent city. Would I have been, would my family have been in, in, in a tent city? Would, how, how would we have, how would we have lived? I mean, would my, my dad, my parents, they were hardworking, but would they have had the opportunities that they had? here in the States, would I still 
be living in Mexico, my income, my my the way that I earn money is because I own an insurance agency. Is insurance even required in Mexico the way that it is uh, here in in the U.S.? Can I build a business that way? What are what are the business opportunities down there? Would I have read the books? that I read would I would I have had the time or would I have had the 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 inspiration to read books like rich dad poor dad the richest man in babylon um cash flow quadrant would I have would I have gone there or would I have just been you know hey I got to I got to make money because I got to support my family I'm going to find every every way that I can I'm going to go it, would I have had the same education be it school or entrepreneurial, would I have had these same opportunities? And, you know, I venture to think that no, my life would be completely different. I live such a privileged life here in the U.S. We all do. The poorest among us here are better off than, you know, a lot of people in in just on the other side of the border. And I don't know that like, that's one of those things that, that I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble letting go of uh, in the sense that like, this is, this is where I come from. This is where I come from. This is, you know, the country of my heritage you know, not not my specific origin because I was born here, but it is where my family came from. And they came here to get away from all of that. So um, I don't know. That's about it. I'm 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 coming up on the uh, 30 minutes here, so I'm I'm going to end it. Uh, Olivia, if you check out this episode, I hope that I have answered your question. Um, I know that we talked about you coming back. I would love to chat with you again. Uh, don't forget, as I mentioned, I'm going to be interviewing Kevin Patterson tomorrow, who is a leading expert in creating create uh, inclusive communities, especially in polyamory. So uh, tune in tomorrow. Uh, 2.30 for a special Thursday episode. Thank you to everybody who commented. Thank you to our live audience for tuning in. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch, or sign up for Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast, if you haven't already. And please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. That is all I've got for you all today. Thank you again for tuning in and hearing me rant and rave about my own heritage. Until next time, hope you all have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolly.